Hello. Oh, I got some tummy noise happening. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it. Whatever, whatever. It's my tummy. If you've been listening to this show for a while, from the early episodes, my tummy wants to be heard. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. My name's Ned. I'm your host, your mortal host, and this is your Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast, where we get to have conversations, uh, guests who are creative mortals in the world, sharing from their unique experience of aliveness, their heartbreak, their trauma, their grief, their eventual death, the losses, all the things, and how they navigate all of it. So glad you're here. Glad we're in your ear. Uh, I was um, talking to a, a friend I ran into at the library, a mom friend, and her mom just died suddenly, very recently. And we were talking amongst the books real quick, just real briefly, as my kids like bolted off out into the playground I needed to go, but I gave her a hug. And, you know, she said something to me then that really struck me and I've been revisiting it and thinking about it and like feeling it in my heart. But she, she was talking about the grief of that loss and she was describing the need to, to wail. She's just been needing to wail. And she even said that she wants to cover herself in dirt and it really struck me, her, the clarity with which she could say it and know that she needs it. And it begs the question, you know, where do we have these places? Where can we do that in day-to-day -day life? And there's just not, I guess, as many as maybe is needed. I know there's places and you're going to die exists because I needed some version of that. I like to think that the open mics and the workshops are a place where someone can wail and um, maybe not cover themselves in dirt, but that it wouldn't be out of the question to end up somewhere with a lot of dirt. A You're Going to Die presents Bury Your Grief in Dirt, Cover Your Grief in Dirt. Um, but I know there's places. But I also, yeah, I feel that there's maybe not enough or there's something going on out of my lifetime, decades of being alive, that feels like there's something not okay with being grief-stricken like that. And there were times and cultures and places and villages and communities where you, you could one day wear black for a year, where you could wail and scream and pound the earth where you could cover yourself in mud and dirt and cry. And I think about those places. I've been thinking about those places a lot. I mean, I have for years, but I, I'm thinking about them lately as these like breaking places, these crackings, what it felt like when my mom died, that like crack I fell into, that crack in life in just how life moves and the attention life gets is to its aliveness. And, and the broken places are either to be fixed quickly or ignored. And I've been taking this course uh, offered by Bio Akamolafe. It's called We Will Dance With Mountains Into The Cracks. And the cracks have been this focal point, the broken, places the the trauma the heartbreak the breakdowns and um during one of the sessions we had in this this course he was talking about his son and he was describing his son as being on the spectrum and he made a point of saying in nigeria or india where he lives that um that the language isn't used that language isn't used but he used it to kind of let us know from our Western North American, at least for me, position, um, who his son is and how his son is. 
and he shared these words from his wife, who's been doing a lot of reading and, and, and you know, finding education and literature around caring for a son who, who falls on the spectrum. And the thing she said to him was, the use of the word meltdown is common. And we think about that with our kids, with our toddlers, you know, the meltdown. And there's something like blameful about it like the meltdown and and bio's wife said that it's not the right word it's not the word she said it's not a meltdown it's an altar and there's this session i had with bio where it's like seven in the morning six in the morning and i'm listening to so much in that hour but this is the sentence that really like landed in my heart and it's what i feel it's like where are our altars like that where are our altars and uh, your grief? I said this in, in one of our grief and healing workshops. Your grief is our altar. And it is. It's like a communal altar, especially when we're gathering together and we're putting it out there. It's like, let's have a meltdown together. Let's have a breakdown together. Let's be the cracks. Let's not fix the cracks. Let's not move past the cracks, not patch the cracks stay in the crack, actually be in the crack. And that could be like the place of medicine or transformation or change or what's possible. Um, or, or it could be like uh, the answer to the question of life, to the question of the way life has gotten too sure or monotonous or uh, not to be trusted. And so for the purposes of, of the podcast and the way you know the podcast, this idea of like being in the cracks is really where I'm, I'm feeling this episode. And I, and I think that this episode's guest is a crack explorer. <laughs> um, it's tricky wording. I'm still figuring it out, but uh, Jonah, there teaching how to be in these places that offer transformation and transition. And so to, to have been feeling a lot of this stuff and then get to have this episode come out in the world, listening to the tenderness, I just, I just love the conversation Jonah and I have. And then to re-listen to it, I was just feeling so much love for Jonah and their experience in life and their willingness to articulate it so well, but to articulate it at all with me. And so then for you, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for where Jonah meets this idea of finding the places in our life where we have our altars and allow ourselves to have meltdowns, breakdowns, grief-stricken moments, and that that's the place where we approach the altar. And really like no other way can we do it that so uh, importantly uh, in just the way those things allow, those altars only emerge there in the wailing, in the endless tears and the screaming and the pounding the earth. And so I guess there's this accidental question is like, where are those places for you? And I hope that this episode of the podcast is that tiny spot. You can like, I mean, I, I, I actually can't imagine that you will wail while listening to this, but that you know listening here is a place where you could, where you could go outside with your little earbuds in listening to this episode and lay down on the dirt and start grabbing handfuls of it and throwing it on your legs and your chest and your face and your arms all while listening to a podcast. If you do that, could you let me know how it goes? It sounds like a pretty intense invitation, but also like could be really incredible. So if, if you do record a little snippet about it, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm really actually getting excited that maybe one of you will do that listen to the podcast while covering yourself in dirt, maybe wailing and uh, yeah, record a little bit about it. Tell us how it goes. Email us at pod at yg2d.com. And, and that email address is for all the things. If you had ideas, feedback, guest ideas, you you're interested in being on the podcast, you know, someone that would be good for the podcast. You have a song you want to share a poem. You want to share a story you want to share pod at yg2d is the place to send all that.
we are here. We're we're checking those emails and I'm grateful for all you listeners. Now, Jonah. Jonah Welch is a self-proclaimed transgender mystic and devotional artist who studies the ways that gender nonconformity intersects with the occult. They are searching for the form of something called the non-binary path, a distinctly non-dual path of spiritual practice that serves as a force of alchemy and transformation upon duality. Using art, prayer, poetry, and public space, billboards, Jonah intends to bring much-needed representation to the trans and gender non-conforming community, one that is disproportionately subject to both state and interpersonal violence. And they are longing for a trans spiritual renaissance where trans people are seen as bearers of unique knowledge that can bring healing to the world. And this conversation with Jonah was that for me. I mean, I am a white cis male and I don't care how many like years of death and dying work, hospice work, losing my mom, losing my mother-in-law, all the other death, loss and grief, no matter what, like death and my mortality is seen from a lens of white male cis genderness. And so I'm so like emotionally eager to have conversations like the one Jonah and I have here. And knowing that Jonah's experience of death as a trans person being in the world, our world, our culture, this country, the United States, like that it informs mortality and death and dying in ways I need it to, but that I can't access unless I'm with Jonah and open my heart vulnerably to Jonah. And this, this conversation feels like us getting to do that. And so I hope it offers you some of what you need today. In this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Jonah Welch. As a person, I feel sort of like a, a little bit like a lightning rod on the top of a, an old barn or something where I really, I like to take life uh, slow and careful and really listen and to feel into when opportunities strike and to act then. And when I'm not sort of doing outward action, whether it's stating an opinion or or um, having some sort of solid project that I'm working on or things like that. I'm really just um, listening and taking in and trying to learn from my environment and the people around me. I think um, I'm sure we'll get more into this um, a little bit later, but I think part of, for me, what uh, being transgender and transitioning, I started physically transitioning about 10 years ago and uh, have been using they, them pronouns for about 10 years as well. Part of what that did is it taught me that every person can expand endlessly. Um, it caused me to become someone who really questions any limitations that we put on ourselves. Um, even, even limitations in the form of what might be positive identities that we hold um, that may in and of themselves create a sort of stagnancy for us. And so as a person and the way I move through the world, I think I really try to tap into that force of constant change and let it affect me. Um, I put myself out there to hear what is best for me to do. This means sometimes I get into arguments with people who I love um, because the way I've spoken something or acted um, has impacted them. And I really do enjoy those moments of learning as well, which is what happened with my grandmother a little bit this morning. But I am what I would call a mystic, uh, which the, the definition of that word to me is rooted in the history of mysticism. So one example would be Sufi mysticism, which came up alongside Orthodox Islam. And whereas Orthodox Islam said, you need to go through these 
um, you know, authority structures to have access to the divine. You need to do these things to be good enough to receive blessings, etc. Mystics, what the Sufis believe and what mystics believe is that every single person has their own complete access to spirit, that there, there are no boundaries of human authority. And so I firmly believe that. And I spend a lot of my time rooting around in old books and in history, trying to find places where there is evidence of how um, trans and gender nonconforming people might have a unique and specific medicine to share with the world. Mm -hmm. um, I try and look for us in history, although many of our books have been burned, we have been relegated sort of to the shadows, but there, it, it's still there. Um, and yeah, so I believe in every per person's ability to completely change and transform. Um, and I also believe that all of us have access to everything we need to do that. So that's sort of how I move through the world, waiting for invitation into moments where I can be of service. Um, and uh, yeah, just going about my life. Um, mm -hmm. In practice, that looks like somebody who's an artist who works for themselves. I drive around the country a lot, visiting my loved ones and staying up late, having conversations about magic and liberation. Um, mm -hmm. I love to write. I love to dream. I play music. You know, I just, I just love, um, life. And that has come in part as a result of being in a community that's in such close proximity to death. For me, every day that I'm alive is a huge opportunity and blessing. So mm. that's a little bit about me. Thanks, Jonah. Can you, so can you tell me, do you mind to, and you could say, no, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about the details of this conversation with my grandma, but could you, it seems like it was that kind of significant conversation that connects to some of what you just shared, sort of maybe some way of having to articulate or communicate with your grandma about mm. who you are in the world, or is that what the conversation was like does it is it worth talking about that conversation to shed a little more light on some of this you know uh it's hard to say i mean i think <laughs> i think it's it definitely relevant in that what it really was was maybe one of the first times that i've really um confronted my grandmother about something Mm -hmm. Um, and said, Hey, this, you know, this is bothering me. And, um, because, you know, traditionally she doesn't respond very well to that. And I decided to just do it. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, she at first did not respond well, mm -hmm. but then we, uh, we kept talking and, you know, um, it got to a really good point where I was like, you know, it's, it's really tough to confront you about things because you don't respond well, but I, it, it's out of great respect and love for you that I do so. And we've, we've never had a conversation like that before. Mm -hmm. And I think she, she recognized that. And also, uh, there is just a beautiful moment where, um, she was just like, I, I want you to feel safe with me and safe mm. to be able to say these things. And, you know, we <laughs> hugged and it <laughs> yeah. was nice. So it was just, it was just, you know, part of this, uh, transformation magic is going into those places where there's these old patterns that have existed and just shaking them up, mm. you know, and that's yeah. something that's really important to me. And it felt really good to do that with her. And I think yeah. it brought us closer. So, um, thanks for sharing about that. Um, yeah. And for that introduction to who you are and and definitely feeling deeply about the the way you've described kind of your being, your creativity, your work in the world and and that it's committed to transformation and transformation of yourself and others and how confronting that can be. I don't want to talk too much about the the this particular piece unless you're like, yeah, oh, I have much to say about that. But I do wonder about, you know, we have a moment where I thoughtlessly use the wrong pronoun for you, even though I asked you explicitly what pronoun you prefer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sorry for not using the correct pronoun, but you just say, here's the pronoun. And, and, and I say, okay, 
great, got it, sorry about that. Um, and then I just know for me, and this isn't a toot in my own horn, it's just like the simple like, yeah, okay, let me adjust. Have you felt over time with family and friends where a moment like that isn't that simple? Like there's a pushback on even that little manifestation of such, and so like minute, but also representative of such a bigger thing, all these things you describe. Is there some words you can put to that particular manifestation of, of or measurement of transformation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that it's definitely much easier to do what we just did, the sort of pronoun correction readjustment moment, which is something that I will generalize in saying I think almost all trans people deal with that on a regular basis because Mm -hmm. it's, I won't even go into why, but I would say it's much easier to do that with someone who I have a less intimate relationship with, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense, because Mm -hmm. you're able to, at a base level, just be like, hey, it's my goal here to respect this person, and so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do that. But it becomes much more complicated with family, um, sometimes with partners, with close friends. It can be a little bit more tricky. Um, I definitely... uh, do a lot of just letting go when it comes to family. Um, My father's mother still calls me she, actually, uh, even though I've been out for about a decade and have a full beard. You know, she's just never going to stop. She's also 92, so (laughs) and survived World War II in Italy. Mm. So I'm kind of like, you know what? It's fine. (laughs) I, You know, I've come to a place of just... uh, it being okay, but but yes, sometimes just that alone, that mm. change in language or asking someone else to change something about what they're doing for yourself, for your own sake, can bring up a lot of very um, deeper conversations than you would anticipate because uh, you are asking someone to reflect and to change their mm-hmm. behavior, and sometimes it's around an issue that they might not actually believe is genuine mm-hmm. you know so so they might believe that that it's all a charade and that you're just trying to <laughs> annoy people or right. you know uh be special or whatever so it can definitely lead to some interesting um conversations but it it's something that i've become it's become pretty natural just to be like hey mm-hmm. and uh And then I'm able to let it go when I need to as well. I don't want to make too big a deal about it, but but now that we're talking more about the pronoun piece, I imagine it feels like without making too aggressive a leap into this part of the conversation, the trans work of kind of dying to a self, you know, or a self being born from a dying self, uh, the pronoun usage maybe would be the first early version of needing to declare that outwardly. And um, I'm wondering if you kind of relate to that. Is that how it felt when you first did it, when you first had to communicate it or what did that feel like? And also you'd be like, this is great. Yeah, this, it felt this way. Let's get a little, let's get dig deeper into the other ways this really manifested for me. Yeah, well, I certainly think there's a lot of resonance between death and transformation. Mm -hmm. It might even be the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, death is probably the greatest physical transformation a human can go through and Mm. bodily death, you know, but there are many smaller deaths, other kinds of deaths. And I think transformation is one of those things because, yes, a part of it is that there's something that you were that no longer exists. Um, That's a pretty basic way of putting it. I mean, we all carry through with us certain things that might be more endless parts of our personalities and things like that. But I remember when I was first coming out to my family, it was really um, intimidating. I had already come out (laughs) as a lesbian when I was about 16, I think. And, you know, that was not too bad. My, my parents are from LA. They're really cool. And so coming out as queer was fine. I mean, mm-hmm. my mom goes to a dream group with 
10 lesbians. And so she was just like, okay, cool. Mm. But then the, the gender transition, it felt very different in nature. And so, yes, it was very, um, it felt very big and it did feel maybe somewhat akin to announcing a death, but like to, from an outside perspective, something that could seem like a forced death that I had made happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to my parents and saying, this, this is changing. Um, and like, much like the death card in the tarot, it's like something is already changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing that can really be done to stop it. Mm-hmm. It's just already happening. And so they, um, they experienced a wide range of emotions and reactions. Um, one really interesting conversation I had was with my mom's partner, whose name is Owen, and we were sitting at the dining room table, and I think I was, I had been out for a couple of years, I had been on hormones for a couple of years, and he said, you know, I need your help because I need to know how we grieve the loss of who you were before. Mm. And that really uh, hit me. You know, pretty hard because um, I, I hadn't really. And when you're transitioning, there's so much going on. Especially if you're if you're physically transitioning, just everything's changing. Your hormonal balance is shifting. Your way of feeling, being in the world, is just totally changing. Mm-hmm. Um, how you're perceived is changing. There's all these things that you learn, and then to hear that oh, on the other side, my family is also processing how to grieve the loss of who I was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and really all I could tell him, which is sometimes all you can maybe tell someone who's dealing with the death of a loved one is, you know, I don't think I'm the person who can help you work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You are going to have to, you know, process that for yourself and if there's anything I can do to to you know remind you that there's still you're still loved and you know if there's anything I can do to help bring clarity I'm here to do that but the processing of that grief that's your experience of what's happening and Mm. for me it's a very different experience Um, there's certainly been aspects of grief to the change in embodiment of course but um, overall, it's been a very euphoric, mm-hmm. joyful experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, long answer to just say that um, yes, there is so much resonance between um, someone moving away from the body or the gender they were assigned at birth, and and some sense of um, irrevocable loss. Mm-hmm. You know, just a place you've been, you can't get back to. Okay, everybody, just a little moment to say a few words about our sponsor, you. <laughs> Surprise. No, we actually we actually decided this, this episode, and for a few episodes, we deny any sponsorship. Uh, we just passed on thousands and thousands uh, and millions of dollars because um, we wanted to tend to our intimate, sweet, community of listeners. And you've heard us do a little bit of this before, but we just want to kind of put a little fire behind the Patreon support. And as a way, I guess one 
thing for sure is to celebrate my birthday. This episode's coming out a couple days before that. So just listen, before anything, if you're like, you know what, I do want to wish Ned Buskirk a happy birthday, just go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash YG2D. And you can also just enter Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and YG2D into Google, and it'll bring up the first link will be our Patreon page. And if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a place for you to commit as little as $1 a month to supporting the podcast being in the world. There's a bunch of levels of support, about five different levels, but you can choose whatever you want every month. Like you love the podcast, you want it to exist, and you want to regularly be a part of supporting it. This is a way to do it. And you know what we'll do? We'll put that link in the liner notes too. So that could be the simple, easiest invitation. It's my birthday, y'all. Do you want to support the podcast that I love dearly and want to make more of in the world? Please go to our Patreon page and support what we do with a monthly contribution. And just so you know, as we build that, which we haven't really put a lot of energy into doing, as we build that community of of support, there will be unique things we do just for that community. Special audio files, full recordings of the interviews that we have, uh, special sound bites from Nick Jana, uh, among some other uh, hardware offerings, like you know things you can hold and, and caress and put up to your cheeks um, tenderly. So that's the big invitation right now, everybody. Help us by going to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. Go there and help us do more of this in your ear. Oh, and why else would you do it, I guess, beyond the birthday thing? Do you like this being in your ear? Have you been listening to episodes? Do you want to make sure that we're supported in doing it? Because the fact is, like, I'm not going to be like, we can't do this without you. We're going to keep doing this, like, for sure. The nonprofit will figure out a way to do this. But boy... If you could support us doing it, and by the way, count it as a write-off, your 501c3 contribution, you'll make it that much easier for us to do more of this in your ear. Happy birthday to Ned. Happy birthday to Ned. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. So we always like to have a little bit of moments in the show where we often share content from our guests. And so Jonah was very generous and sent us a lot of really lovely audio. And then we just threw that at Nick. Nick took all that and created something. And I think there's been points when we've thought like, this could be like a meditative moment to drop in. And I wouldn't say this is necessarily that for you. What I do think is it honors maybe musically or in kind of an audio segment, the spirit of Jonah being in the world and the aliveness of Jonah and also the expertise of Nick Jana's sound engineering. And all I am is just lucky enough to be the guy to introduce it.
wish birds of paradise liked human flesh. Because it would be cool if I could just be laid out somewhere and a bunch of birds of paradise come and like eat my body. That sounds kind of pretty. To me, it's the place of the greatest misunderstanding around around trans people and gender non-conforming people is that feeling of change or die, um, where it's like you, for me, I remember just suddenly knowing that, you know, I was not a woman. Um, when people would refer to me that way, I would almost disassociate and just not understand that they were even talking to me. Do you remember this is like a, a coming upon you or you like literally a day where you remember was, that reaction or, <clears throat> you know, it's sort of constant, but then there's certain external things that bring, um, like heightened amounts of knowing. Mm-hmm. So it might be this like, kind of constant feeling internally. And then when you go out into the world and you have these experiences, they're very revealing. And so this change or die, you know, I'm a very visual person. So I see what I see here is someone who's standing at like the edge of a big cliff where it's like on one side is a great blackness, nothingness. And on the other side is this blooming field of life. And we all have a choice to step towards life, but to do that, we have to let things die. And then also we're so close to the edge there that if we can't make it to be able to be fully in our life, many of us do die. Um, and dysphoria, I call dysphoria the messenger. So I see dysphoria as sort of a Hermes-like being Mm -hmm. that is there on this edge of life and death that is really pointing the way because dysphoria is once again a very hard um, concept to put into words, but it's that feeling of wrongness almost. Um, It can extend into a feeling of futurelessness or hopelessness Mm -hmm. where the way you are, you can see no future for something about it feels wrong, deeply wrong. And dysphoria in pointing out that wrongness is also pointing in a direction of change. And maybe not uh, telling you specifically what to do. I mean, I remember some of these decisions you make along the way in um, physically transitioning, even changing a name or pronouns, they're huge decisions. They're leaps Mm -hmm. of faith, really. Mm -hmm. You don't have Mm -hmm. anyone who can tell you what to do or how to do it, but you do have an inner sense. And that's that dysphoria of in, in what scenario do I see my life playing out till the end, you know, because right now this life, it it has no future. It's, it's dead. It's, it's already dying or it has already died or it has never been. And so yes, right there at that edge of life and death, there is the messenger dysphoria to help us um, gain knowledge and to know uh, what direction we might need to move. Um, Sort of like a sense, a sense of danger or a sense of safety, sense of discernment. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering about the billboards is connecting to this Mm. and then a connection to, to this declaration and in the way you put it with your words around trans being a bearer of culture death. And I'm wondering if the billboard project connects to that, to the, that idea during, during this time, the Anthropocene, I just Mm. like, I took like four things that we were going to talk about and made connections. I'm not trying to force them. I'm wondering if you're like, yeah, okay. I can definitely make connections to this and this, but not that whatever you feel is coming up right now. um, That makes sense. Yeah, well, uh, 
I, so I'm of the belief personally that people who transition, um, sex or gender, um, there's a lot that you learn from that process. And I see it as a, a it can be a sort of spiritual initiation in, in my belief system. And so with the, with the billboards and with a lot of the work that I make, so the, the billboard project, this has been sort of coming out over the last year, um, which was to, to pay some amazing artists to make billboards about the divinity of trans people to put Mm. those up around the country. And, um, that message is really important to me for, I would say two main reasons. One is the the uplift of my community. Mm -hmm. Um, so at a base level, moving from a place of acceptability or respectability politics, or it's like, or tolerance, sort of those, the vibe of those things, moving from that into know my life and my, the fact that I was born to change, that is sacred. That is something, um, between me and spirit. Uh, and that shift for me as a trans person was very important in feeling empowered and feeling safe, feeling like I belonged in the world. Um, and then and then to put that out there into the public, you know, obviously to cultivate uplift and representation for my folks out in the world, seeing these things, but also to, to remind, uh, people in general or the public that historically, um, trans people, gender nonconforming people, um, even queer people, uh, in pre-colonial cultures, often, I mean, there's countless examples of this, held positions of um, spiritual leadership. And I think there's a reason for that. I think we learn, we learn certain lessons that are very um, resonant with maybe the lessons you learn through losing a loved one. Um, uh, not the same, of course, but we learn um, how to let go, how to pursue truth, um, how to change with grace. We develop strength and courage through suffering. Um, we're people who might experience a complete loss of identity or body or home, sometimes family. And we've, we're still here and we're still alive. And, um, you know, uh, I think that some of those lessons, um, are very applicable to the time we're living in mm-hmm. where so much is changing outside of our control, um, in the environment, uh, in this Anthropocene era that we live in, in the places where, um, we're feeling the touch of colonial, uh, you know, force. Um, and we're starting to get to the point where some of those things can be talked about openly. Mm-hmm. It's a very special era. And I think that, uh, part of doing those billboards is, is that I'm seeking a trans spiritual renaissance, which I think I, <laughs> I put in my notes, you but are. I'm, I'm seeking a, 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 a trans spiritual renaissance mm. of where trans and gender nonconforming people who feel called to do so, um, can be people who are resources in this time of change mm. and also resources for, for anyone who needs guidance as their life transforms, because this happens, everyone experiences transformation. We were born to carry it in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an embodied set of knowledge about transformation. We have, for me, I rely heavily on my memory that I once had this entire beautiful life and mm-hmm. I completely changed and I'm still me. I'm still mm. here. Nothing was really lost at the end of the day. And so mm. that's why I put out that message that, that trans people are sacred, of course, primarily to, to bring joy and uplift to my community, because most of what I do is, you know, for my community, I just love, I just love trans folks. I love, I love that we're here in the world and every, every life is so precious. Um,
we're we're sort of on a frontier. I mean, there's not there's not a lot to go off of other than personal experience, and I actually think that's probably a good thing, because yes, uh, I think in any era where a trans person exists, there's going to be a shattering of tradition because there's no way that any tradition created by people could possibly hold all people. And so you have people who just inherently throw a wrench in the machine, you know, just by their very being. And so, um, but so one example of a ceremony um, ritual, which I see as important because I think there, there are certain ways that transition can be traumatic if you don't take time to mark Mm. the um the moments you mm-hmm. know so one ceremony that i did was before i got top surgery so a double mastectomy um i wanted to do something to just thank my body for carrying me um mm-hmm. as far as it had and uh so i i did a nice photo shoot with a medium format camera with a friend of mine we went out in this creek bed and you know um uh, took our clothes off, took pictures together and then apart and, um, doing that process of just marking the moment Mm -hmm. and having an intentional, um, ritual around, uh, thanking my body was really helpful in not leaving space for there to be a trauma of loss, um, when I did change. So, and then, um, so there's a lot to be said for how ceremony ceremonies are continuing to be developed for trans people. And I think that's very important. Um, and then yeah, something I, 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 I sorry to, to jump in. I, I just, I'm not sure there's more to say about this, but you said like, there's not a book to read about up on how this has been done for thousands and thousands of years, maybe before, uh, before you, but, but you also mentioned earlier this, the, the knowing that there was, Mm-hmm. that there were like collections and writings on these and maybe not in the terms that, like you said, we use now um, because of the way it was articulated or held or honored, uh, you know, in in uh, cultures in the past. But just wanting to acknowledge out loud that, you know, there's a there is something sacred even in the redoing of, but there's also some, I imagine, you know, grief about the loss of how it was done, you know, thousands, hundreds, thousands of years ago. Yes. Yeah. I feel it definitely is something that can be sensed. And to me, it's through um, ancestry. So mm. uh, I see trans people as being connected to a not not a blood lineage but a s- sort of spiritual lineage of mm-hmm. other trans folks who have come before us um, mm-hmm. and through the way they lived their lives we can see what magic there is to be had you know there might not be a book about what they did because often I think of like the public universal friend or Joan of Arc which are two figures that folks can go look at on their own if they want to but both of these individuals said that their way of embodying their gender was given to them by God Mm -hmm. so they it was a very personal spiritual um, experience for them and so no they didn't write a book explaining what they would do in their private space Mm. to you know do these things and and so but I can look at just their way of being and know that there is something there and I can Mm -hmm. feel into it. Mm. Um, So, yeah. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I did kind of cut you off. You were going to uh, shift into more talking about ceremony and maybe where that intersects with death of tradition. Was that the transition you were about to make just now when I jumped in or? Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, I just, you know, speaking of the death of tradition, which sounds really scary. And I think that's that's why so many people have such visceral, strong reactions to trans people to the extent Mm -hmm. that they might get violent, Mm -hmm. violently angry is because, yes, just our very way of being um, can break down some of these things. And just as an example, uh, I lead a rosary prayer circle for trans people. So 
we're praying the rosary, which is a very nuanced, old uh, tradition that has held a lot of powerful things, um, mm-hmm. including helping to conceal indigenous traditions through colonization, um, tapping into a lot of old stuff, but it also is contextualized within Catholicism, right? And some of the people in the group are ex-Catholics who were kicked out of their churches for coming out. Mm-hmm. So we meet outside of the church. And outside the church, the night is young. There is infinite things to discover through what is an old traditional form, but we have no choice but to approach it with fresh eyes and fresh hands. Mm. Um, And so we end up uh, finding things that are really beautiful. Um, So in the breakdown of some of these existing norms and traditions that exist in Catholicism, when we break those down and just focus on the root truths of uh, spiritual work, there's a lot there. Mm. There's a lot of beautiful stuff there um, outside of these sort of stagnant and rigid and old ways of being. Uh, I love the feeling of coming into something really rigid and just shaking it up and seeing what lies there, um, you know, in the rubble. Uh, It's often something very beautiful. So... Um, that's one way that I, you know, we get together every week and we pray the rosary and my Italian ancestors who are going to church are looking down and being like, is this really happening right If you want to support Jonah and Jonah being in the world and Jonah's work in the world, you can Venmo Jonah at Jonah Welch, J-O-N-A-H-W-E-L-C-H. Also, Jonah asked for support of an organization they particularly believe in called For the Gwirls, a black trans-led collective that curates parties to fundraise money to help black transgender people pay for their rent, gender-affirming surgeries, smaller co-pays for medicines, doctor's visits, and travel assistance. So they're not doing parties right now because of COVID, but they are still accepting support because they will be back as everything opens back up. And you can still apply for assistance under the Applications tab if you need assistance from For the Gwirls. And also go to jonahwelch.com. And you can also find Jonah Welch on Instagram. Hey, Nick Jana. Hi. How are you this fine day? I'm doing all right. We both have sweaters on. It must be fall. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we look real cute it's like we're looking in a mirror i don't have my glasses on though, i mean they're totally but... different types of sweaters i think just the, <laughs> i don't know they're very similar the zoom resolution makes it seem like like we have something <laughs> in common like, we're wearing gray blobs we both happen <laughs> to be wearing gray blobs at the same time yeah uh would you any feels any things come up with you working on that, it's cool to get like text as you're editing the interviews. And and so I guess part of this is following up on that and being like, what do you mean about how wonderful this uh, interview was or whatever words you used? I, I We've talked about this, but I love ways that this podcast can be a resource for certain topics, usually around death and dying, of course, and grief, where if someone is interested in getting into being a death doula or something, they're is an episode or two that they can listen to as somebody is dealing with the grief of loneliness in this technological age. There's something they can listen to if someone's dealing with the recent loss, you know, there's something they can listen to. Um, and this episode I really love for, I think a lot of people have questions. I mean, just, let's just assume like people on the progressive (laughs) general, generally progressive side still have questions around, what is that transformation like and 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 is it a loss and 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 what what does that feel like and and how do i manage that just grammatically and socially and otherwise and jonah speaks so 
heartily and from this lens of sacredness and and alchemy that and this amazing perspective of thousands of years of human history about these topics that I think is just so welcome in this discourse that otherwise gets so small and immediate and you know modern for lack of a better word where where people's immediate discomfort and uh, frustration and political things get in the way of this bigger picture of this land that we live on and where we come from as humans and and what it even is to be a human and all the transformations and changes that go through so i just was constantly captivated by jonah talking about all those things and i think it's i hope listeners agree and feel like even personally knowing Jonah and having talked about these things in person and, and um, in classes and workshops, I still was grateful for the opportunity to hear just that testimony of this is what it's like. And this is what was hard about it. And this is what was, what struck me was just at some point them saying it was just, I don't know if they said it like this, but it's not a choice. It's just like, you just have to change or die, you know, um, mm-hmm. like th- this is just the way it's going to be. And you can grieve things that are lost, but um, you can't sit there and say, can't we go back or can it just not have happened? Cause it, it just had to happen in, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So that perspective is just really, I'm really grateful for. Yeah. I, I kind of said a little bit about this in the intro, you know, but this idea that as a white cis male, I have this pretty emotionally charged eagerness to listen. And and I know You're Going to Die is built on that. In fact, I feel like this podcast couldn't happen at the beginning of You're Going to Die, like the early years, 10 years ago, because it coming into the world and me facilitating workshops and and maybe even like speaking more and holding space more definitively in the open mics has depended on a lot of listening early on. And when I go into the prisons, similarly, uh, the first times and still, there's more need for listening than there is for me talking. And um, and I guess in some ways, the podcast is like m- maybe letting me do that more now than ever in a way that I that I finally need and and you've helped like manifest. But what I say at the beginning is this idea that as a white cis uh, male, uh, I have a certain experience with mortality and death even and loss and grief. And so to have Jonah be the guest provides access to something else that I need, which is their experience with mortality as a trans person. And, and I feel that way about, you know, black people in black community and being able to like try to be humble and and know that like it's not their job to to teach me but when there's a chance to have an open vulnerable conversation that like informs mortality and death and dying in a vaster way than my limited lens allows it just feels like a huge gift mm-hmm. and I like how you describe Jonah's doing that the heartfeltness the sacred attention um it really it really let had me letting down the insecurity I feel around. So let's talk about the pronoun stuff. I love that you left that in the edit, mm-hmm. by the way, because it's a real moment. Like I I said he, and they had to correct mm-hmm. me. And I love that that's part of the the interview because it's it's real and 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 I there's some shame that I have around a moment like that but the truth is I want to lean into that and I want to ha- be with people that can teach me and 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 know that it's a medicine their experience is a medicine that I need for my own life yeah. and it's an expansion and it's a, it's it's my own transformation yeah actually and you are the pers- perfect person in this case because it's very similar to that feeling of when somebody has had a loved one die and everybody just kind of like clenches <laughs> and moves back and mm. doesn't know what to say and is so afraid mm-hmm. of saying the wrong thing that the the person feels isolated mm. because nobody's talking to them you know and and you have so much experience with just like let's talk about it let's break this ice you know mm-hmm. and a yeah. word a grammatical formation like is not a reason to let a, people be distanced and separated, right? You know? <laughs> right. Right. Totally. Yeah. I appreciate that. I would, well, thanks. You did such a good job on this thanks. edit. It's a really, really good I was grateful great to get to hear this. I, I met Jonah a few years ago. Uh, you know how you have like some people you meet and like you meet <laughs> and, and, and 
for some reason, like it just always sort of goes wrong and um, you, you get off on the wrong foot and they see you in one way and it's like, no, but I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's the opposite yeah. of that where everything goes right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Jonah was one of those people I met. There's very few people like this where this might be the only one. <laughs> I don't know. Come on. Where it went. It went right. And so I was hanging out with our army. Mutual- <laughs> I love you're saying that's the rare version of you like meeting people, but okay. Well, gotcha. I, was, I was at this uh, seaside lodge with our our mutual friend, L.V. Pepper, and it was late at night and Jonah arrived to, to hang out with us. This was the first time I met Jonah and I was sitting around playing a piano and I had, you know, I was in my, uh, what is it? In my cups, as they say, you know, like I, I was, I was feeling spirited and um, made up this, like 10 minute song about lizards and Jonah happened to <laughs> film it. And, and just, <laughs> this is like the first <laughs> in the first five minutes of meeting me, I made up a 10 minute song about lizards, <laughs> if that's possible. Yes. Uh, and I believe it, um, filmed it. And then uh, I never saw it after that or heard it, but then they kept watching it. And then like a year later we met at, uh, LV's birthday party. And, uh, I, I got up to play, a song and I just did this big intro about um <laughs> Jonah requested the lizard song and I was like, you know, I, I told I said I'd never play this song again and I absolutely won't, you know, and then I start I start strumming the guitar and I'm like, one thing I'm not gonna do is sing the lizard song, you know. And it was a completely different 10 minute improvised uh-huh. song about lizards about how I wasn't gonna sing the improvised song. And Jonah caught this on on film again too. Anyway, just you know, just have those moments where like you just sort of like get off on the right foot and somebody actually mm-hmm. sees you in a, in a deeper way that, that you're like, Oh, maybe I am this guy who's <laughs> just making up songs about lizards, you know, and, and, yeah. and not so beholden to, uh, I, I don't know. It, t- to me, there's some metaphor there about like opening up and transformation and, and letting go that, you know, you provide this too in, in your own way of like that witnessing that you can do where someone can actually be, the person they want to be or that they didn't even know they mm. could be because there's just this container to witness it, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm just grateful to get to get to hear from the start, you know, Jonah explaining themselves and like, here is who I am and what I do, you know? So yeah. thanks for, thanks for the interview. Well, I mean, thanks to Elfie Pepper, who you mentioned now, you can check out that episode, everybody, uh, Elfie Pepper is going to die. Uh, one of our earlier episodes when Nick and I started doing this together. And uh, thanks, Elfie, for bringing such wonderful people into my life. Uh, and it's a testament to Jonah that you felt that way, Nick. I feel. I just. I, I wonder. I'm kind of suddenly speculating on Jonah having gone through what Jonah went through and is going through the transition, the transformation, and the welcoming of the beings in Jonah. And that in our lives, it's sort of not a joke to feel uh, more commonly the experience of meeting people and having it maybe start kind of rocky or not not feeling like you're shown in the best mm-hmm. light, but, but maybe that's kind of shared in our world. It's hard to like meet people and drop in fully because of all the stuff we're carrying and the ways we're not ready or we have judgment or we're not sure about each other. And and Jonah having gone through the journey and in the journey that they're in is has them being the kind of person that made me feel so settled and received. And I can't take credit for the conversation being how it is without acknowledging Jonah for like letting me ask the questions mm-hmm. and make the mistakes mm-hmm. and not know what the hell I'm talking mm-hmm. about and have that feel okay, yeah. you know? And so it sounds like um, also maybe you should just as an experiment, pl- you know, play the 10 minute lizard song whenever you meet someone and let's just <laughs> do a test and see if. <laughs> See if that just that works every time. Any anyone any anywhere like yeah. my, like my parents' friends at a dinner party. Just like uh, exactly. Nice to meet you. Can we just take a can we take like ten minutes? I just want to play a song. 
<laughs> as an introduction. Yeah, that would be really, really uh, forcing it. <clears throat> yeah, it would be. I can't wait. Uh, we'll update all of you on how that goes with Nick and episodes to come. Uh, on my future, thank you everybody on for my li- future album, uh, Lizard Songs and Other Delights. Yeah. <laughs> Ten minute lizard songs and other delights. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, as I said, you're the sponsor of You're Going to Die, the podcast. So go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and start contributing your monthly gift to making this podcast happen more often in your ears and more ears. Oh, nice. And thanks to Jonah Welch for sure. What? Nice. Yeah. You like that? That was a good one. I just accidentally said that. I got to write that down. Um, well, I guess we just recorded it, so we're covered. <laughs> but um, okay, I think that's it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Bye. Bye.